Hey everybody, welcome to the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We have a fun chat for you today with Chris Cuomo. But first, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you listening and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. So our guest today really needs no introduction other than he is the host of Cuomo, the nightly news program on News Nation. Chris, welcome into the back room. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Andy. So before we get started, I just want to say a couple of things. You know, if we go back to 2016, Donald Trump became president. A few years later, we got hit with a horrible pandemic. Our world, our country, everything became un- unrecognizable. I mean, it literally was surreal. Not only we were, were we locked in our homes, but we were also forced to listen to our president suggest that we inject bleach to stay alive. So needless to say, things were a little crazy. What made them less crazy during that period were the Cuomo brothers. In the morning, in my house upstate, I'd go into the back with my dog. I'd listen to your brother's press conferences. The voice of reason, the voice of sanity. I, I speak for a lot of people because I remember talking to a ton of friends. And they'd say, if I didn't get a chance to listen to Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo this morning, present reality in a sea of craziness I think I'd lose my mind. And then at night, we'd turn on Chris Cuomo, and we get a similar kind of thing from a, a media perspective. So I just want to go on the record and say, we live in an imperfect world. There are imperfections in all of us. But in those moments, I think you and your brother and a lot of other people made those years a lot less frightening for a lot of people. Andy, I appreciate your sentiments. I appreciate you couching them delicately. Um, But look, I'm a different, I have a different vibe. I appreciate it. Andrew did a good job. Uh, He made mistakes. Everybody does, especially in fluid situations. It's all about how you own them and how they punish you for them in politics. And, you know, if I knew at the time that what I was doing by uh, reporting on my COVID and developing the inside understanding what was happening and not happening and why and having my brother on the show and um, trying to help him manage the political fallout of the allegations. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I get asked a lot and I ask myself a lot, what would I have done differently? And I think the hardest part of this situation, because I'm really very committed to personal growth and that's easy to do when you fuck up a lot but Mm -hmm. um the you know the hard part for this for me andy is i wouldn't do anything differently um and that is it's hard because it's hard to distill a lesson that isn't a bitter one about the realities of media and vengeance uh and how our society works um but I would broadcast my illness again. I've never been thanked for any work I've done in over 20 years in this business. I've won just about every piece of lucite that they give out. And I've never uh, been thanked by regular people, not by the media, uh, not by the establishment, not by the power brokers, not by the cognoscenti. They were jealous more than anything else. They were jealous. Uh, why? They don't like people getting shine uh, when they're not getting shine. And 
it bothered them that my brother was on the show. They just couldn't say anything at the time because it was too popular. But that's what bothered me, is if it's a matter of principle for you, then open your mouth and say it now. And let's have the debate, because I didn't care if he was on the show or not. It wasn't my idea. I would have been happy not having my brother on the show. He was certainly getting enough attention. For me, it was a tap dance. You know, I had to balance all these things. But they didn't say anything because they didn't want to be unpopular. And that's what bothers me about them being high and mighty about it after the fact. But I, uh, you know, we all read in the self-help books, regret's not helpful uh, unless you learn and you move on. And I wish there were better lessons. So I've had to find my own. And the lessons I've found are we are only as good or as bad or as strong or as weak in America as we decide to be. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. Um, listening to other guests that you've had on and understanding the state of play where we are, there is an addiction to grievance and to pulling people down right now that has us where we are. Even watching that Newsom-DeSantis debate mm -hmm. was really interesting for me. Look, you know, the easy part is I got to believe Democrats, you know, and you, you can tell me better. Uh, looking at Newsom, you had to be licking your lips uh, like, damn. I wish this was our guy, you know, because at least he can make a case and use the. Hey, are you are you saying the quiet part out loud, Chris? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that. You guys must have been feeling that. Um, and DeSantis, he's better one on one. He's very intelligent. He's very capable. Uh, he's got things to run on, um, but I just don't think he has it. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has it. I thought he did a good job in the debate. I think he's better one on one. But if you listen to what it was about. And I would punish Newsom for this less than DeSantis. But it's all about why the other person's worse. Oh, yeah, well, what about this? Oh, yeah, well, they, this is worse. And yeah, but you suck. And it, no, you know, Newsom was in a different position. He was defending an agenda, right? So, but DeSantis, it's like you ask any of these guys, I have them on all the time. What would you do that would make things better? It's almost always couched in, well, I'd get rid of Andy Oscar. That's the first thing I do is I tell you Andy's a bad guy. And uh, and then I would get rid of this thing because that's bad. And I would uh, stop doing that because that's bad. That's why we're so stuck. But that, isn't, isn't stuck. that how it's been for decades and decades? Degree matters. Listen, my father was a victim of Roger Ailes before I worked for Roger Ailes, uh, one of the lords of folder roll, as they used to call him. And look, has it always been like this? Literally ab initio. From the beginning, from jump, as the kids say today, we have been going at each other negatively. That's politics. That's why the Greeks gave us the word demagogue, but they didn't give us a, a positive opposite that, you know, they put into the parlance. Negativity works in politics, but it's about degree. And it's about balance. And it's about the realities of transition from politicking to governing. And that part has been almost entirely lost. Governance means nothing. Remember the idea of run on your record? When's the last time you heard the word record uh, out there, if even in a political season? Mm -hmm. So it's degree, Andy, and degree matters. So, but to play devil's advocate, you look at Joe Biden, you look at Bidenomics, you look at when Joe Biden talks about the economy, no one gives a shit. In fact, his poll numbers go down. So it's like when you, How do you do it, it seems like when you do How run do you on do your record, when you try to stay positive, we live in a culture today where no one cares. They love the Jerry Springer show. That's more important to them. 
Well, first of all, it's the who's the they, okay? We're being dominated by the fringes right now. And the, the big fallout of social media and the mainstream media, the real medias, the professional medias, the accountable medias, mistake is relying on social media as Vox Populi. It is not. Social media is people venting. It is not how they are at work. It's not how they are even with families. It's not how they are with friends. I want to do a show where we take people's online activities and show them to the people in their lives and see how freaked out people get. Um, Twitter is not reality. You have to, in America, represent sweet strength. You can't be a tough guy and go harsh strength. That's not who we are. That's who the fringes are. That's who the... Uh, oh, well, I don't know about Hamas and calling them terror, you know, because Palestine needs to be free. Th that's the fringe, okay? Fringe ignores terrorism. Oh, yeah, and by the way, that's why we should kick Palestinians out that are protesting right now. That's the fringe on the right. We don't do that here. Mm -hmm. In the main, the people you know in your everyday life who aren't part of, you know, the political kibitzing, they are regular people. They look at all of this stuff going on, Andy, and they're like, well, who are these people? And that's the hope. The hope is the plurality of Americans saying they are neither Democrat nor Republican. Mm -hmm. That two-thirds of the people believe we should have better choices than the two, you know, understood um, nominees in the next election. That's the hope. You just got to speak to them. That's why I'm in this joint. That's why I'm in News Nation. I wasn't going to come back into the media after getting shit-canned by CNN. I was going to do just what you're doing now, and I have the Chris Cuomo project, and that was going to be enough. I'd won all the awards. I was number one at the biggest uh, network there was in the world. But I got guilted and shamed into coming back and being part of News Nation by my EP, Dusty, who's a friend of mine for 30 years, who heard me saying shit like this in my house once after I had been shit-canned. And she said, <laughs> and I went, what is that? What is that? What, do you got a leak? And she said, no, but listen to you, Mr. Man in the arena, sitting in your living room. And I was like, well, I got fired. She's like, oh, yeah, so you can't get another job? Because she knew I, these guys had reached out to me for advice about how to start something new and what to be and what the balance should be. And she's like, you just don't want to get hit anymore. I get it. I'm not faulting you. I love you. But you just don't want to get hit anymore. So stop with the man in the arena talk because you don't want to do that anymore. So that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's what you do. So I want to talk a little bit about Newsmax and this, uh, Newsmax, News Nation. Uh, well, how dare you? How, yeah. how dare you? <laughs> well, I'm going to re-record that. Everybody makes that mistake. You should actually keep it. I'm serious. It's a real branding issue. I always make decisions like when I sit down to edit, I'm like, eh, should I keep that? You know, it's like. The, the, I would keep it. My but, siblings do it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I just want to go back. Real quick to what I said at the opening, just to clarify, and then we can move forward. I do have issues and questions with your brother and his behavior, and that's not what I wanted to talk to you about, but I just wanted to say that. But I also wanted to say, back then, you know, I, I like many people, would walk down the street and stay away from other human beings, because we did not know yet if those other human beings could kill us with their germs. We've never yeah. experienced anything like that. It was fucking crazy. Hindsight is a luxury. You can all play armchair quarterback, but... I remember those days, and those days were terrifying, and there were voices of reason, voices of comfort 
that were important. You know, it's the same argument that I've had with people about Liz Cheney. When they say to me, oh, yeah, she's trying to defend democracy, but she is anti-abortion. And like, who gives a fuck if we don't have a democracy? And not having abortion or the right to an abortion isn't going to matter. That's not going to be your biggest problem. So it's like at some point we got to look at the totality of things, the totality of people, the circumstances at the time, in real time. Otherwise, we're just sitting back here on our high horses and, and judging the whole fucking world and not looking inward at our own imperfections. You are articulating the duality, the paradox that we find ourselves in. Most people look at it the way you are articulating it now, which is, all right, she's against that, but she's for this, or you know, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. But that is not what is dominating the dialogue. No. The dialogue is dominated by the binary battle to the bottom of two parties and what is worse. So Cheney is dead from jump because she's a turncoat. And when you're in a tribe game, mm -hmm. you can't go to the other tribe. Cooperation is a crime. That's why they're not doing anything. So that's the way we are processing it in the media for an audience that is majority not interested in that. And we wonder why there's a disconnect. And the shame of it is that the way the game is being played is prioritizing and advantaging all the wrong people. And I don't know how to get out of it because I need to have ratings. I need to have resonance and relevance. And what the pandemic taught me um, was a different lesson than all of the ones that you, and you're right to lay all of those out. They're very real. It taught me that that crisis was not bad enough to get us out of the game. 9-11 mm. was bad enough. Not forever. But as far as I'm concerned, the Bush administration screwed that up by going down the yellow cake road and sending me and all those men and women that died over there into the wrong country. Um, but that was when everything started to unravel. But if 9-11 happened today, God forbid, God forbid, we wouldn't handle it the way we handled that one in 2001. We would go like this. Immediately, they'd say, well, that's what happens when you got Biden there. There would be no galvanizing. There would be no Biden walking through the rubble and everybody going, nobody, no way. Why? Because we are at a critical mass in this addiction to grievance. So what breaks you out of it? Only two things. And, and one of them is so frightening. I hate it. But it's the only thing history teaches me. All I do is read history and I'm looking for analogs all the time and trying to figure out what was said at that time, looking at Cicero and looking at the Stoics and all these different people. Like, is there a way to articulate things to make people snap out of this and see beyond what they're being fed like lemmings? And you have overwhelming crisis, war, a uh, unifying enemy. And I don't even know what that looks like now, because now you got people in the streets in America ignoring a terrorist uh, and looking at uh, Israel uh, as some kind of existential threat to Palestinians. I mean, I, I don't even know, you know, I, it doesn't, I, I can't even get anybody to make sense to me about it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I just had a conversation with one of my kids' friends. Uh, so we have 20, 17, 13, and one of the older ones, French, and tears and rise, they're killing all these innocent people. They're killing them, they're killing all these innocent people, and they, they have to stop, and they're colonizers, occupiers. 
and the tears in her eyes. I said, why don't you feel this way for the Uyghurs? There are a million, she's like, the who? I said, there are a million Muslims in pens being reprogrammed in China, and they posed no threat to China. A million of them. We have no access to them. They won't let us see them. And every time we hear a report, it's absolutely horrifying. Why don't you care? Why don't you care about how the Saudis are massacring the Yemenis? 300,000 over years. Why don't you care? Well, Israel's, but look what Israel's doing. I said, Israel is surrounded by people who want them not to exist. And yet they're doing it this way and having this conversation with us. China's not talking to us about what they're doing with the Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work. The tears remain. You don't care, Chris. You don't care. I don't care. I went. Okay. I went in there dodging rockets with my guys like an idiot. So I care. I'm there. But that's where we are in this miasma, you know, this this miasma, this miasma of uncertainty, this miasma of wanting to have a purpose and being overwhelmed by passion and fear. And I saw so it's, it's very frustrating, Andy, to be in a business where you're supposed to make sense of things and you can't you why do you see it. You see it for what it is, but you can't do anything about it. Why do you think? she and people like her feel the way they feel what do you think is at the what? root of it because that's really the issue misplaced empathy because look let me tell you and i felt like this for a long time everybody does when they go through uh, a rotation of covering the conflict you see kids throwing rocks against guys in flak jackets and you know automatic weapons and getting overwhelmed you're like man this this seems uneven and, you know, seeing all the dead, the dead kids and the dead, it's overwhelming. It's horrible. It looks like one side is just destroying the other for the acts of a few. But what's, what's the hard part? The hard part is correcting the perspective and showing the context of history. Uh, and things are complicated and it's hard to see nuance in death. So that's what it is. They see it. It looks lopsided. These people are poor. They're running around in bed sheets. Their kids are getting sprayed all over the sides of the buildings. And you have people in suits and ties and well-pressed BDUs telling you we have to do this, otherwise they'll destroy us. Mm -hmm. The optics are not good. How much does anti-Semitism play into this, do you think? You have to talk about that more than I because of the requirement of portfolio these days. I will be accused of being appropriating Jewishness uh, even though being called Mishpuka and having Jewish brothers-in-law and most of the guys I grew up with uh, are Jews whom I love and make the family I choose. And my nieces have Jewish blood in them. And my adopted godfather was a Lubavitcher Rebbe. And my father preached about tikkun olam and tzedakah as much as he did anything else. I still can't talk about anti-Semitism. But I'll tell you what my Jewish friends and professors and experts tell me. They believe that you can't get away from the prejudice when processing any issue to have to do with the Jews. They are not treated like any other minority. The good reason for that is the Jews, as manifested in Israel, and of course we have this reality that we also ignore, that 
the idea that being Jewish is what matters most to Israelis, and it's not true. It's an existential cause. It's a land cause. But you can't get away from the fact that the Jews are at once David and Goliath. And that is what makes them different as a minority, that we don't have any other minority that is mighty mm-hmm. of opponents in any way. And that is, that creates complexity. And you have to deal with that. It's not the same. Uh, why would the American blacks resonate with the Palestinians when the Jews have been so instrumental in the cause of black suffrage in America? Because the Palestinians are brown, although a lot of Jews are brown too, which a lot of people in America forget, but they are without any might. They just have terrorism. They're throwing bombs and rocks, rockets. Uh, That's the complexity of it. Now, beyond that, Professor Dershowitz, who's a mentor of mine, will say, yeah, and people don't like Jews, Chris. People don't like Jews. People see Jews as conniving, power-accumulating operators. Look, do I, have I heard that? Yes. Is it easy for me to accept? No. Why? It's too fucking ugly. Um, bothers me too much. Um, and I, do I believe it? Yeah, I believe it. Um, can you counter it? How do you counter prejudice? Exposure? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, how long ago? When's the, when's the last time, Andy? I remember it for me. I remember exactly where I was. I was in North Dakota. Um, chasing down a guy named Mike Tessitore, of course he had to be Italian, who was running this Fugazi um, find a fiance business in Southeast Asia, bringing back underage Filipino girls. So I have to track down this stupid goomba, and, and while I'm there, this guy says to me, so uh, you're from New York, right? He said, yeah. So uh, are you in the mafia? I said, no, I'm not in the fucking mafia. What kind of question is that? And he's like, well, I'm just saying, you know, you're Italian, right? And I was like, oh, okay. I I could see in his eyes that he didn't know what he was saying was stupid, you know? And then he says, let me ask you something. He's like, you you grew up around any Jewish people? I was like, yeah, I grew up around a lot of Jewish people. He goes, have you ever seen one that had any nubs right here? Oh, Jesus. And I said, nubs? I said, you mean like, horns he's like yeah have you ever heard that before i said yeah i've heard it before he goes oh right i said no no not right i said no i've never seen anything like that before i said i've heard it before but i've never seen it before that was your john mccain moment (laughs) and you know this guy was not acting in bad faith ignorance is much scarier Mm -hmm. than animus ignorance is scarier than animus people who don't No, I can't tell you how many people say to me after a day of like fish. I'm an offshore fisherman. I fish a lot. And most of the guys are Trumpers, okay? Or they believe they're conservatives. Why'd you fake being sick? I said, what? Why'd you fake being sick? Like, I don't get that. And why'd you tell people to take the vaccine when you knew it didn't work? And... Well, why why did you tell everybody like to wear masks and stuff like that when like we didn't have to? Like, well, I don't understand. Why'd you do that? And they they, they don't want to hurt my feelings. They're not trying to be insulting. You know, it's not Twitter. 
they believe it. They believe it because mm -hmm. the outlets that they watch and the people they talk to say only that. Mm -hmm. Why do you think Donald Trump said, I love the uneducated? I mean, it's all part of the master plan. I don't see a master plan. I see convenience, tactics, and expedience. I don't see strategy. I don't see planning. I knew Tom Tancredo. I knew Steve King. They are the fathers of Trumpism. And that is not strategy, okay? That is uh, playing to ignorance and being a little ignorant yourself. Steve King doesn't think it's fucked up to say, we need more white babies. No, but do, do you, you don't think the, the, the Steve Bannon plan, the whole plan to steal an election, you don't think that was strategic and planned? Here's what I think. I think <clears> that <throat> Bannon, especially Bannon, wants you to think it's a plan because he wants people to think he's some kind of mastermind. <laughs> he isn't. He's just another blowhard and a coward who won't even come on and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody that he knows knows what he knows. So let's put him to the side. I'm shy on the recognition of things like strategy, planning, uh, again, around January 6th, because I think there's a difference between the sum total of collective energies and animus versus a plan. Uh, I don't think, I know the Proud Boys guy got that big sentence, and, you know, I think the Proud Boys are into enough bad and destructive shit that, you know, he was asking for it one way or another. But prosecutors don't call January 6th an insurrection for a reason because they know they're going to have a hard time checking the boxes of legal sufficiency of showing the planning and design and timing. Um, they have not argued for sentences that reflect terroristic acts for a reason. Why? Because they know they're going to have a problem with circumstances and timing. Mm -hmm. And this isn't me saying, it is me saying it, but it's not my idea. You just look at the reporting of what they say in court. But I say January 6th wasn't an insurrection. I get fucking attacked. I get attacked. I say it's not, an, it's, not, it's not considered an act of terror. I get attacked. How can you say that? You of all people, you should know. I'm just telling you how they're handling it. I'm not saying it wasn't horrible. I'm not saying that Trump didn't absolutely foment it and like it, which is even worse, in my opinion whenever I really review the situation. He knew it was happening. He knew he could make it better and refused. So why, why are you saying it's not a, it, it wasn't an insurrection? An insurrection, here's why. And this is, I know this is unsatisfying, but I'm a lawyer and a journalist, okay? Mm -hmm. We call things things for a reason. Insurrection is a term of art, okay? And it has different qualifications to apply as that as a matter of law. No one has been charged with the crime of insurrection. So legally, it was not deemed to be that by the prosecutors. That's why I'm saying, was it a loose effort to try to stop the election from being certified? Yes. Isn't that an act of animus towards the American government? In my opinion, yes. They definitely wanted to disrupt the process. Did they want to overthrow the government? Was this a rebellion, a revolution? I don't think so. I think you're giving them too much credit. Oh, did you see all that confetti? That <laughs> what, yeah. I was just going to ask you, what the, are you in the middle of like what a toddler's say? birthday party or something? What's going on over what there? Was that? 
Wait, what did revolution? <laughs> For no. the listeners at home, like Rebellion? just I, just out of nowhere, confetti just dropped on on Chris's side of the that of the Zoom. Made a good point. <laughs> I don't know. That must be uh, you know, China. It's China watching us, right? <laughs> birthday, congratulations. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That was cool. But here's my question. I want to push back a little bit. I agree with you. Yes, but is that not? This, this a calculated decision. I, look, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I, I've spent enough decades around you ambulance chasers to sadly think like one. But is that not just a calculated decision a prosecutor makes because they don't have what they feel is evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt? Like the judge in New York who said, yeah, Trump was uh, found liable of sexual assault. But in my opinion, he's a rapist, according to all other standards. So is it that an insurrection didn't occur and wasn't planned, or was it just that it did, but they can't prove it? Okay. Uh, This goes to the unsatisfying nature of the truth sometimes. We are dealing with different standards uh, of proof. And look, this, this is a problem with us in a lot of cultural regards right now. As you said earlier, that you have questions and concerns about my brother. Um, we're having a hard time negotiating the difference of um, legal versus illegal versus wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are often different things in the eye of the law. Okay. So the prosecutors are not calling it an insurrection for exactly the reason that you are suggesting. They don't think they can make the case. Mm-hmm. Okay. But is that just like, or, but it really is, but they just can't prove it. Well, then it really isn't, right? Uh, but it, I mean, it was that, but it, it doesn't mean that it was a crime, but it was very wrong. Yes, it was very wrong. And it was, a, there were plenty of crimes committed, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not seen as an illegal attempt to overthrow the United States government. Now, That distinction matters to me in the opposite way that it matters to you. It matters to you, not to speak for you, but you'll correct correct me for sure, that, yeah, it was an insurrection. They didn't have to prove to a legal standard, but that's like bullshit. It was. It was an insurrection. I see it the opposite way. No, it wasn't an insurrection. You're exaggerating it, and by doing that, you're actually hurting yourself in the argument that you want to make because the truth is enough. You guys broke the law, busted into the Capitol because you didn't want to accept your democracy anymore because you didn't like the fucking outcome. So you thought it was okay to do this, Mr. Law and Order, Mr. Character Counts, Mr. U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, except when it doesn't work the way you want it to. Mm -hmm. And then you become a bunch of fucking savages. That's the argument you want to be making. That is a compelling argument that has the benefit of truth. You don't have to exaggerate. It was an insurrection. It was the worst thing since Pearl Harbor. The exaggerations put you back into combat with exactly what you oppose, which are people who are grossly exaggerating reality for their own advantage. And I see this often in our state of play. That's why I say it's not an insurrection, because the prosecutors say it isn't. And I don't need to say that it is to say that if it had happened the other way, if you switch the R's and the D's, mm-hmm. this is a problem that you Democrats have, by the way. And you now have a new layer on top of it, which is the Republicans are now blaming you for being like them. They are the cohesive group. 
They are the ones who will do groupthink over what's reasonable. They are the ones uh, who protect each other in times of crisis. But now they're saying that's what you guys are. You guys are the opposite. You're like a bunch of cats. And they are making advantage in the exaggeration game against you guys, where the truth is enough. If you guys had done January 6th and those had been a bunch of brothers and sisters running into the U.S. Capitol instead of white guys getting crackers with, you know, Trump hats on, it's all they would be talking about forever. Mm -hmm. Helter Skelter. This is it. This is the realization of the plan to get rid of the white man. That's all they would be saying, and all of them would be saying it all the time. What do you mean, Chris? Let me show you the video again. Look at this cop. Look at this person screaming. Look at these guys. Our first responders. You guys basically let it go. I, I agree with some of what you're saying, but where I will push back is that I think you're making a very cogent argument as a lawyer, and I think we're playing a game of semantics. To me, it, it was an insurrection. The fact that it can't be proven, that's a matter for lawyers, but where I differ even totally from you is that over the years, my mindset has shifted in that it depends on who we're talking about. If we're talking about Donald Trump, we're talking about Roger Stone, if we're talking about Steve Bannon, it was an insurrection. If we're talking about the people who actually scaled the walls of the Capitol, where I'm at now, which is not where I was on January 6th, is that, and I've had Alexandra Pelosi on, and I've watched her films, and we've, I've had discussions with a lot of people. There's a lot of people who went to the Capitol that day because their president told them that this is what a patriot does to save America, to save democracy. Um, I don't think today that a majority of the rioters, the savages, that they thought they were stealing an election. I think they thought they were defending themselves from the people who are trying to steal the election. And that's just yeah, a, some of them. Yeah. So, some of them. but so it just some depends on who you're talking about. Listen, as someone who's stood in a lot of riots, okay, uh, the idea of condemning the entire sum total of the population uh, makes no sense, right? There are lots of different actors mm -hmm. and intent and motivations in the group. And then there's something else called mob mentality, mm -hmm. where you don't really assess it as a bunch of individuals. You just look at the sum total of the collective because it became a mob. And that, to me, is the fair way to look at January 6th. But look, again, Andy, the reason I believe that you guys didn't carry the day after January 6th and just dominate all elections um, going forward is because what you call semantics matters in a political debate. And it can matter for better or worse. And it's either an insurrection or it isn't. And if it's an insurrection but they can't prove it, guess what? You just lost the argument. And if you're losing the argument, then you become a liar. And if you become a liar, then you become on the same footing as the person you're calling a liar. And you give the ability to a Trumper or Donald Trump himself to say, oh, yeah, they all say this was a January 6th insurrection is the worst thing. But the BLM uh, riots were just protests. They were mostly peaceful. You set yourself up to be put in that because now you're becoming an exaggerator. You're playing the exaggeration game and you're playing right into what you oppose. Mm -hmm. And that's why <clears throat> all these things wind up being a wash. Yeah, no, I agree with some of that. But I, 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 I don't want to be put in the you guys bucket because this, I, I agree Are you with a Democrat. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not pulling the strings. I'm not making the but decisions. Democrat, this is 
what you guys argue. I hear it from all the time. I got it in yeah. my own family. But I have my own. I, nobody can put me in a, I mean, you more than anybody would appreciate when I say I could, nobody should put me in a, any particular bucket. You know, I'm not in a, in a monolithic nobody group. Nobody puts Andy in the corner. Nobody puts Andy no in the one, corner. No one. No one. Except mama. Um, <laughs> but, but I understand what you're saying. And I do agree on some level that Democrats, you know, and that's why I say there's a distinction between Democrats and you guys, because I disagree a lot with what my party has done and how they position themselves and the messaging they put out there. I don't think it's been the most strategically sound or, or productive, but I, I want to ask you about the news nation show and why is it different or what's the goal with making it different than what we as viewers see typically in mainstream media. The show is this. It is being open and having competing sides on issues that people want to be just one way. Mm-hmm. Everybody says they're open to debate the same way they used to say, uh, do you guys want a hard news or do you want entertaining news? And everybody would say, I want hard news. And then they would only watch the Kardashians. The new iteration of that is, do you want open debate? Yes, I want open debate. And then everybody watches their teeth. The left watches MSNBC uh, or CNN. Uh, reasonable people watch uh, CNN. And then the right watches Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and why? Because you like what you're hearing there. It's comforting. It's confirmation bias. And in a scary place, you like to have any sense of security. News Nation, it's certainly what I'm doing at News Nation and being allowed to do, is I talk to everybody. Um, I have Republicans on, I have Democrats on. Very few shows do that, if you think about it. When's the last time you saw Rachel Maddow talking to Republicans? Um, They don't do it. Why? Because she is an incredibly intelligent, articulate manifester of the agenda of the left to make you feel, yes, I'm right, they're wrong. She's brilliant at it. Big fan. Um, And I believe we need something in addition to that you can you know you can feed you know you can feed your side i have no problem with that that's that's uh that's you know open debate but news nation is let's try to access the rest of the people which happens to be the majority of the people regular mm-hmm. i don't really see myself as a democrat i don't really see myself as a republican uh i want to i'm independent really but i can't vote primary so i gotta pick a party and you know my parents were this way so i go that way but once i register that we're re-registering such a pain in the ass that's where most people are so i do a lot more crime why crime is so tawdry my sister maria just said this to me i think that you should be excused from covering crime until the war is over in the middle east and i said well listen i cover the crime of the war in the middle east all the time which you could argue is also a crime but i cover crime why because it matters to regular people. You have actual stakes and things that relate to life within their community and concerns they have. And it is a lens through which to see whether the system works. Is this person uh, being, are they investigating it the right way? Do they have the right person? Are they in prosecuting it the right way? Is it going to be the right outcome? Is this justice? So I'm doing more of that. I rarely covered crime at CNN because uh, it was seen as lowbrow. But and that's changing, by the way, CNN is doing more crime, too, because they see News Nation's growth. Um, So I do more crime when I do politics. I play us versus them, but I play establishment, non-establishment. And uh, I am a master of the game. I've grown up in it. I see it the way Neo sees the code in the Matrix. 
Um, I understand what's going to happen. I understand how they're going to run and play with things. And I try to articulate to people. And I don't just both sides it, where you come on and say insurrection. Somebody comes in and says, no insurrection. And I say, okay, no, you decide. I test the ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a conversation. And if you come at me, it's a mistake. But I'm not going to come at you. The conversation's going to end. I'm not going to get into the... I'm not going to get into a huge fight in a way that I think is untrue. And I think it's an important distinction. And I also want to get into something else, which is I want to get News Nation into the coverage game of being where things happen. The media, if you notice, has been getting out of the coverage game. I applaud CNN for how they've invested in the war in the Middle East because it's expensive, it's dangerous, and people aren't watching the whole time as much as you would want them to to justify the expense mm -hmm. but it matters to take you guys to play that you can't go to you got to be on the ground in situations it's the only way to understand it. well I, and on that note your parent company has a stronghold in local news right yeah the most stations in the country i have not figured out how to use that yet mm -hmm. uh, they, they absolutely have a tremendous reach i haven't even figured out how to do a segment that is fed by that and there's a lesson in that Mm -hmm. There's a lesson that there's such a disconnect between the national conversation and what's happening in communities all sure. over the country. And that's the stuff that people I don't care about. Know how to use the largest network of local stations in existence no. that Perry Sook together yeah. with Nextdoor. You're a smart guy. I think you'll I think you're going to figure it out one day. Uh, you know, what you said before is really interesting to me because I do think there's a large segment of our population that is somewhere in the middle and doesn't get into this tribal nonsense and is in fact sick of the tribal nonsense. And I agree with you about crime because sometimes it is a gateway into other conversations that are really important. I have that in my own life. My wife, as you may know, Adrian Shelley was murdered in 2006 by an undocumented immigrant. And while the world was watching Donald Trump drag angel moms into the conversation, I decided to write a New York Times op-ed defending undocumented immigrants. And that's one of the reasons why it's hard to put people in buckets, because if you're really a solid citizen, you're all over the place. Otherwise, you're in a tribe, right? And so I, I think... I'm you, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm very sorry for your loss. I remember it in real time. Uh, I remember looking up your wife's work um, and reading the op-ed and being so moved by two things. One, and I, I hope that over the years you've been able to feel the impact of both of these things. Putting pain to purpose is something that you hear said. It's alliterative, it's, it sounds smart. It is really hard to get out of pain. And I can't imagine the pain you were in, but you, you did it you wound up using what you were feeling and knowing to explain something to people. You knew you were coming from a position of high ground in the debate. Nobody can say to you, you don't have a right. No, 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 I have a right. Right. And it was, it was very powerful. And also, then I started to see you popping up places. And you had... You, you have achieved something, and you continue to, by the way, 
that is very hard for people, even in that position. What happens is, and unfortunately, given the state of our culture when it comes to violence, I've seen this many, many times. Mm -hmm. The people, the families of the victims who decide to try to harness their pain and their experience to make something out of it, something positive, so the legacy isn't just how this life ended, often get sucked into it. And the pain becomes a magnifier of their passion for, you know, whatever, whatever side they're on, whatever it is. You never did that. Uh, you did what's even harder than that, which is you have stayed open and you want to discuss and you don't want to hate and you don't want to reject and you don't want to dismiss. And that is extraordinary, Andy. And, you know, you can agree with what I say. You cannot agree with what I say. Not about you. If you disagree, you're just wrong, but on everything else. But I hope that you, I hope that for you and your daughter, I just, I hope that that's, you know, that that's real, that you did something that is extraordinary and you did it in a way that even for those who achieve it was remarkable. Mm -hmm. And I remember then I lived it in real time. I covered it in real time and I appreciated it then. And now that's why I'm on with it. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, look, I, I bring my own personal experience to things in the world today, like the Israeli situation. A lot of people don't have murder in their lives. And I think not having murder in their lives makes them look at things differently. And that's why I look at the situation. I say, look, I, I'm not the one over there. I'm not the one that's fearing that my kids are going to get kidnapped every day. I'm not the one who's worried if my house is going to get bombed. Like, I, I don't have those worries and just like I don't like people judging me until they walk in my shoes, I kind of try to stay away from judging situations over there. It's a very complicated, very nuanced situation. The lesson for us all, I think, is to sort of take what we've experienced and project that out into the world and be less judgmental and more understanding and, and compassionate. And, uh, but I, I think with social media and just the way the news cycle is today, I think it's very hard to do that for people. Well, it's demonstrably true. Mm -hmm. um, treat our politics and its allowance to bleed into larger, more culture-relevant issues and behaviors and dynamics to be like Patriots versus Jets team support, where even if your team sucks, you believe you're going to say they're going to win and you're going to ignore anything that the opposite you know, of that. And the other guy you brought it up. I got to ask you, what's with Aaron Rodgers? Is he really coming back? I hope he doesn't. That line sucks. Um, the O line. He stay out. I mean, the idea that they're going to make it into the playoffs. They're in the you know supposed to be the best conference in the worst division. Um, I I think he should stay out. He'd be stupid to come back in. They don't have a team to make a run. But look, you know, only the Jets, man. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers comes there, you know, and he gets hurt in the first series. I was at that, I was at that game. Couldn't believe it. It's, yeah, I, I believe that it is one of the most obvious manifestations of my self-loathing. <laughs> um, one of the things I work on most in therapy is how negative I am on myself and how that, that really retards my ability to stay positive and be who I want to be. And that's why I'm a Jets fan. Because I must, on some level, feel that I deserve the angst of knowing it's only a matter of time before they fuck this up. Yeah. You're hitting yourself. You, you, must be a, you must be a Knicks fan, too. I am a Knicks fan, but I'll tell you what. They look, good. They look good this year. Hope. I have a lot more hope 
in the Knicks franchise, you know, mm-hmm. even with Dolan, I have a lot more hope for them. Like they can be good. It's just a matter of time. They're not doing a great job over the last. They got oh, a shot. They got a good shot. But not the Jets. So let's end on a much lighter note. Uh, we here in the back room try to get a window into people's souls, and I think a, a good way to do that is through music. So give me Chris Cuomo's top five musical artists of all time. Oof. Um, any music lover is going to struggle with that, right? Because you have such a mix of genres. I especially am somebody who is very affected by music. It can really change my mood. So I have buckets, okay? Chuck D is a personal friend, and mm. I grew up in the era of Public Enemy, mm-hmm. and I was inspired by their intelligence of social justice. Mm-hmm. So he was always big for me, as was Rage Against the Machine, which Chuck D eventually wound up working with them mm-hmm. and creating the Rage, uh, which was a band a lot of people haven't heard of, a group, super group. Now we go into the, well, if you're, if you're just hanging out. Well, now I like all the old, you know, I love the Led Zeppelin, love the Doors. You know, mm-hmm. I love that whole era of real rock. I'm not a Beatles guy. Oh, I love the... That's it. This I is over. The, this podcast is over. I know. I know. My sister said... My wife says the same thing. She loves. She also loves Bob Dylan. I don't love him. Oh, is he serious? Yeah, is Chris I, Cromo serious? Is he actually serious right now? I'm flawed. I'm flawed. I'm lacking. I know these things. But then... As you, we start you just to destroyed move, my two top musical artists of all time. Look, but look, I'm not in the business of making you happy. Okay, I'm just trying to tell you how it is. Wait, wait, my my producer didn't give you that instruction before we (laughs) went on the air? No. That's in my writer. You got to make Andy happy. So I also, I love a lot of new age rock. I love the killers. Mm -hmm. I love groups in that genre. And now because I have the kids, I'm listening to their music. I've been listening to a ton of Steve Lacey. Um, He's a genius. He's great. Our daughter is a singer songwriter. So I listen to her stuff most often. Mm-hmm. But I'm a very eclectic guy when it comes to music. And music matters to me a lot. It can totally change my mood. Sure. How about Tay-Tay? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> is that a new person? You basically answered my question. That is the nickname for Taylor Swift. Oh, I'll tell you what. She may be the only person in the country right now that the fringes agree on. That's true. She wields a and lot of power. Study in the resurgence of celebrity. She was and voting and voting registration. Yeah, but you know what? I got to tell you something. I having lived this through different iterations over the last twenty five or so years, rock the vote, third millennium, get out the vote, all those things. Getting people registered is hard. Getting them to vote is almost impossible, mm-hmm. and that's. The college registration rate goes if you go to campus. But then those mofos do not even put in the absentee ballots. They don't even put in the absentee ballots. They wind up at 18, 25 percent. We're going to be ni- we're going to be nice to them because we need them. And uh, we're hoping and expecting them to show up in big, big numbers. Right, kids? Yeah. And how do you think they're going to vote? given the disposition that we're seeing on campuses towards the battle against terrorism in the Middle East. Yeah, no, you it's, it's, you it's, it's a crapshoot. That'll be our next conversation. So we'll end on that note. And I'm really glad you came on, and I look forward to doing this again soon. 
Hey, Andy, I appreciate it. And I just want your audience uh, to know something, okay? They should feel free to judge anything they like or don't like about anything I do and my brother. But a lot of people who fall into your audience often mention my father to me and how my father, rest in peace, would have felt about my brother or myself. And it's almost always done as a negative inference. And I want you to, them to know, understand something about my father, okay? My father would have been completely destructive of the Democratic Party today. Hmm. He would be so disgusted that you allowed the GOP to take the American flag as their party symbol, that you have decided to go sotto voce when it comes to the need for immigrants in America, that you have allowed the working class to believe their interests are better served by being against people like them than for people like them. Mm -hmm. And he would be nonstop about it, okay? The guy was the opposite of a pack animal. He was a philosopher, he was an orator, and he was a true believer, first-generation immigrant. So the idea that, boy, if he could see your brother, he loved what my brother was about. Thank God he did not see the phase of the accusations. It would have made no sense to my father. It would have made no sense to my father that there can be no legal process involved that is forwarding these allegations into anything but allegations, and yet they were dispositive for crowdsourced consequence in society. It wouldn't have made any sense to him as a lawyer and as a thinker. It wouldn't have made sense to him. It would have been a mob mentality. So I appreciate that they have nostalgia for my father. His message, what he was about, is more resonant today than it was even when he was saying it in the 80s and 90s. But the idea that he would see me as a turncoat, you're right, he did see me as a turncoat. He hated when I went into the media. His joke was, couldn't you do something that's better for society, like sell crack? That's what his joke was when I went to the media. So you're right about me. Parents, are, about parents are never happy. They're never happy with what their kids do. Italians um, are never happy when it comes to their kids. I think one of the things people do like about you, Chris, is that you are all about family and you defend your family and that putting aside anything else, that, that is admirable. We could talk about your dad next time because I do think uh, a lot of people think he was a great politician and a great man. I am one of them and I would love to talk with you in more depth about his career and what he contributed to uh, uh, American politics. I think that you are a force for good in this dialogue and I wish you well and I hope you heard what I said about how I was first introduced to you and I remember it like it was yesterday. I appreciate that, my friend. All right, next time. Take care. All right. Thanks for the opportunity. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week. Bye.